Hi there, this is Structured Rambling, a podcast about literature, ideas in literature, the texts, the themes, the virtues and beyond. My name is Paul, I'm a reader, a writer, a teacher, a fan, and a pig owner. Before I start today's podcast, which is about the theme of home, of returning home in literature and life, I just got to say that I was out riding my bike in the country. I ride a road bike sometimes for exercise, and I was far away from everything in the middle of nowhere. And on the side of the road, I noticed a microphone cover, the foam microphone covers that you can put over a microphone so that your your peas don't sound too. I can't even make it do it because I got a microphone cover on this microphone. And I've been I've been thinking about that a lot. Why it was there, what it was doing. And it looked like it was in good shape. And I think that would have been the line I finally crossed if I rode my bike back and picked it up and took it home. Because what more COVID-y a thing could a guy do? Thank you, Mr. Tom Waits. I don't know if that little teeny clip of Hell Broke Loose from your Bad As Me album was worth having to click the explicit box for the first time in my podcasting career. But I'll do it because you're a good guy, Tom Waits, musically speaking. I think you might be a good guy, personally speaking, but I don't know you. Although a friend of mine met somebody who painted his shed once. That is like Kevin Bacon separation thingy for me. Home. A bit ago, a few weeks back, I was able to visit my hometown for a few hours. I grew up in a small prairie town, one like so many hundreds of others in western Canada with its main street, its cafes, its war memorial. Every little one of those towns has a cenotaph or a plaque or something in the names of the fallen from the two great wars and the Korean War. It's benches, it's flower pots, it's idiosyncratic people. Super friendly, but there's always a few characters, usually roaming around Main Street, sitting on one of those benches near a flower pot. And yet, It's one with little touches of its own character. Touches of character that make it unique, make it it its own. It was a lovely place to grow up, and though it feels small now, it was always town to me. Town in quotation marks, that's how we refer to it on the farm. It was the urban, the civilized. I spent my first 12 years living on a farm, and until my father retired from farming seven years ago, Wide open spaces and solitude was a greater theme in my life. The civilized, the urban, was something I brought out to the farm, reading science fiction in a grain truck, for example. Not whilst operating it, 
whilst waiting for it to be filled, and then I would operate it whilst not reading said science fiction. Visiting that town, which I only see every couple of years now, brings a wash of emotions to me. Pleasant memories, sadness at what has closed or what has faded, a different kind of sadness at what hasn't changed at all for some reason, but most of all, a pride, a joy at where I'm from. This is followed by a a slight pang of knowing that I'm not from there anymore, that I am an outsider now. My old home, the town I went to school in and grew up going to, and living in for a few years, my hometown is not home anymore. So what is it? What is a home? What does a home do? I come from a place where most of the young people leave. Unless they take over the family farm, which is a very, very difficult prospect unless you're wealthy, or able to eke out some other kind of job within shrinking communities where it's just hard to find success, you leave. And most of us never come back except to visit. Three generations ago, my ancestors left Scandinavia, France, and the British Isles in the hopes of finding better prospects across the ocean. Over time, they and their children lost most of their language, a lot of their culture, and contact with almost all of their family. Keep in mind, this was before the Depression, in some cases before the First World War, and then something like the Second World War really cut off this communication. Many of the countries that my ancestors came from, for example, were occupied in World War II. Most of them never went back, not even to visit. It just wasn't even thought of. In his book, The Hero's Journey, a writer named Joseph Campbell explores many of the common characters we find in our stories. The hero, the mentor, the villain, the sidekick. These are not cliches so much as streamlined commonalities all our stories share. He points out that, and this should be obvious already, for a story to happen, you need conflict. You can't have a story where nothing troubling happens. It's probably been challenged. When I've taught creative writing courses, kids took that as a challenge. Not even kids, adults take that as a challenge. You're challenging yourself to write a story where nothing happens. Even Seinfeld lied about how easy that was to do. Conflict comes from two essential plot elements. Again, this is in the cliched sense. The two ideas are, one, the hero goes away, or two, a stranger comes to town. Most epic quest fantasy is a hero goes away. But think about it, even in a metaphorical sense, zombie apocalypses or alien invasions or transformers, as a guess it's an alien invasion if you want to get technical, their stranger comes to town. And most stories have both, but one is the key, and the other sort of just plays alongside it. Uh, Star Wars, it's not called A New Hope, Star Wars, the first one. Yes, two droids, strangers, land on Tatooine looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is a mentor character, but This is a classic farm boy on an adventure. The hero goes away. By the way, 
you could look at the droids, especially R2-D2, as the cliched harbinger characters. Uh, oftentimes, the hero requires a, somebody or something has to show up to get the hero in motion. Obi-Wan is the mentor. R2-D2 is the harbinger. This plot, the plot of Star Wars, you could line it up right next to Shrek. Yep, the first one. Minding his own business, in this case in a swamp, but the Harbinger, a donkey, shows up and he goes on a quest. Same with the Matrix. Now, the love interest is also the Harbinger and the mentor is also kind of the Harbinger. And the mentor eventually serves as the, also as the princess in the castle, which is, and the castle is a office tower inside the Matrix. But, 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 but we, we, we quibble. Stripped to their basic elements, these three films are almost identical, except what I said. Luke's castle is a Death Star. Neo's is an office building inside the Matrix. Shrek goes to an actual castle to fight an actual dragon. But, of course, that movie is all about cliches being turned on their sides. Luke loses his aunt and uncle, the farm he was raised on. He goes off and becomes an adventurer and a Jedi and he returns to Tatooine as a confident and resourceful hero to save his friend in a later movie. The paper bag princess returns after finding that the prince she thought she wanted to rescue wasn't worth the effort. And so she goes home happy in her newly discovered form. Neo is released from the Matrix, but must forever return to it now that he has learned what it is. Shrek returns to his swamp, but has grown, has friends, and, and a wife, and he's no longer a loner. And if Green Gables doesn't stay at Green Gables forever, I might be filling that in, I've never read it, I never will read it, I'm sorry. Bilbo comes back again to the one place he's thought the whole book about. He spent his whole time while away thinking of coming home again. You can go home again, hero. You have a naive, wide-eyed little dreamer, and then a returned, wiser hero, sometimes a leader in the home he's left. I have a few friends who have returned to our old hometown. It makes me happy and mildly jealous, though I wouldn't trade my life for anything. I was recently listening to one of my favorite podcasts. It's a podcast that accompanies this online um, program called the Online Great Books. Online Great Books is the name of the website, and the, it's called the Online Great Books Podcast. And uh, two of the the main managers, for lack of a better term, uh, who run it, uh, read a book weekly and discuss it. It's one of my favorite podcasts about the ideas that I that I have and explore myself, and I love it because I very often am agitated by it, very often disagree with it. This is one of a large groups of intellectual resources that condemn the tr traditional education models. There are all these people who really crap on uh, traditional education models. Now, these gents on this fine podcast do this a lot. Um, they allude to other podcasts I haven't listened to that do it even more. I would point out um, they're Americans. 
It's an American podcast criticizing American schools and colleges, and it's a different system down there. But still, it's something I find myself disagreeing with. But they're intelligent enough and and wise enough and well-read enough to make it a disagreement I enjoy having as I listen to them. Uh, one of the two main podcasters stated the sad thing about the college system and trends in the United States is that you go off to school, you grow as a person, but you don't typically return home again. He said there is a plan that this, sorry, he said that this is a plan of the college system rather than a byproduct and was designed to shatter traditional community. That's a bit much for me, but this sense of not going home, it's hung with me since I listened to that episode. The hero who is pulled from home into a wider world, but then brings something back. In the Enlightenment, young people were sent abroad to learn. So many of us go backpacking or even work overseas. We bring something back to and for the place we love. I'm dwelling upon this singular point because I think that the majority of our stories probably are the hero goes away because we don't learn by never going anywhere. I find that many of the people who I disagree with philosophically or ideologically are people who have generally stayed in the same place all their lives. That said, I am myself a giant cliché. I grew up on a farm and in a small town and with a severe streak of naivete. I moved to a city for university. My views widened and matured. I gained some critical thinking skills and a little wisdom. And in my 20s, I traveled a lot. I backpacked and I lived and worked abroad. When I finally settled, it was in a place that was not my home, but that I do love dearly and has become more of my home than anywhere, chiefly because my home is the woman I share my life with. I've always declared that home can change as long as she's in it with me. That has made life very easy to live. But as I said at the start of this podcast, I love going to my hometown, but I'm no longer from there, save in origin. I think it's something we can think about, and it's worth discussing. It's worth looking at how many of our heroes do return home, either metaphorically or literally, after their growth in the tale. So, for a bit of fun, I'm going to ask this question of the books I've studied in the structured episodes of this young little podcast. This would be a good moment to tell you that if you haven't read the books featured in this podcast, there's no way for me to avoid spoilers. Because we're talking about the endings, so shut the podcast off, go read those books, listen to my episodes on them, email me your thoughts at structuredrambling at gmail.com, and then come back and, and finish this one. It'll still be here. The first episode was on The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, and it's actually a a tough one to put into the two types of stories, but it is a Stranger Ghost, or it is a Stranger Comes to Town book. That means the hero's growth is different because Offred's fate is a little open ended, less so now that I've read the Testaments, 
we we can't say how she grows. However, her goal is to return to her daughter and a life of somewhat greater freedom as a woman. And she has grown, if you want to call it, call the horror of her experiences in Gilead an adventure. She has grown with that. That's a good side point, is the growth needn't always be positive. Um, trauma could be a sort of return. For some reason, something like a Holocaust story pops it in my head. She's certainly grown, though, and she certainly learned. We hope to heck she goes back again. Next on my list are the Iliad and the Odyssey, and I'm treating them together because I did in the podcast, and it makes it easier, and because it'll annoy the classical misogynistic purists who hold these two texts a little higher than they deserve as great novels. Easily defined, this is the hero goes away to fight at Troy. The problem is the protagonist shifts, but every Greek hero intends to return home after the Trojan War. If we take Odysseus as the obvious figure, because he's one of the ones who is prominent enough in the Iliad and is the guy the Odyssey is named after, he does return home after one of the greatest sets of adventures in the ancient world. But has he learned anything? Has he grown? He slaughters the suitors and ends up setting himself up in Ithaca again. And it sure looks like he intends to return to business as usual. Has Odysseus changed? Dune by Frank Herbert. In the hero, it's it's the hero goes away. And the question of whether Paul's return home, if Paul returns home as a wiser and stronger person because he returns on, on like Neo as a near god but there's a bigger question is Paul's home Caladan where he spends the first few chapters or is it Arrakis where his father dies where he joins the Fremen and becomes the Kwisatz Haderach and where he spends the rest of the novel plus two more yes obviously it's quite clear which one is his home Yet another reason that this is my favorite book is it's the second best example of there and back again that I've covered on this podcast. Not quite as literal, but there's no arguing. Paul also goes through the the becoming of the Kwisatz Haderach, the seeing um, time, seeing through time, um, being many places at once and all of that. He, he has to nearly die and come back. So, of course, there is... I guess I'm ignoring the Christ resurrection coming back again story, but that's definitely going to be on the list. The Great Gatsby is even more intriguing because who is the hero? Gatsby or Nick? I talk about this in the podcast I did on The Great Gatsby. Both go abroad to the war and come home changed, though it is not the change of the war that this novel is about. It's the it's the change that happens to them in New York. Both of, the, both of them are from the, the Midwest and end up in New York during the Jazz Age. Of course, since Nick is the protagonist, we know that he leaves the Midwest for New York, experiences the summer of Gatsby, and is deeply hurt by it and leaves. No one said, again, it is only positive wisdom you're going to gain. And, and what does he gain? It's worth rereading those first couple pages of the novel to see, has he gained anything? Or has he only experienced the loss of someone he considered great? In Life of Pi, oh, this one's kind of neat. 
Pi doesn't return home again, no, if India is to be seen as his home. But we should note that he was leaving India before the real adventure began. His parents and brother were lost at sea on their way to Canada before the trials began, Pi's trials. So in a sense, because he still followed the plan of going to Canada, he did go home again because he was sort of reuniting with this line of, of that his parents had drawn across the world. Although for Pi, I gotta say, I think the real home is, is his metaphysical, metaphorical one, the security of his faith. He can always return to his three faiths. Which brings us finally to The Hobbit, and of course you know by the subtitle there and back again that this is the most literal return home story of the lot. The Odyssey is probably more famous for it, but the Odysseus we see is not, as I said, an especially changed man. His character is not dynamic. Bilbo has returned home. And he has learned things. But as Gandalf says to him, You are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you. But you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. He returns home as a new hobbit, but not an overly superior one. A quirky one, a strange one, but he still loves his home and where he's from. He does indeed return, and only his nephew Frodo will do there and back again bigger. But it's interesting that Frodo, well, Bilbo too, but Frodo with a more direct need can't stay home permanently. The naive young hero leaving her home, leaving a place where she is sheltered, leaving a place where she knows so little about the world outside. She's brought into an adventure not at all of her own making, usually reluctantly, she finds herself as a person and is better for it on her adventures. But what we miss is how often this hero returns home. It's not as if she's better than her home or any of the still naive people in it. By being away, she has gained even greater appreciation for where she's from. Bilbo wishes for eggs and bacon in almost every scrape he gets into. Pi wonders why God has forsaken him. Offred lets the bastards get her down. Paul wails for his lost father and the coming of the jihad. And Odysseus, well, Odysseus lingers in a sexual imprisonment and sits on a beach before deciding that one of these days maybe he should get around to, you know, thinking about possibly getting back to Penelope and the kid, I suppose. But they persevere. They go home again, whether it is their real home or a metaphorical home. And when they do, they still love the eggs and bacon, the warm hearth, and a good book. You have to excuse me, I'm not in my best. I've been gone for a month. I've been drunk since I left. These so-called vacations will soon be my death. I'm so sick from the drink. I need home for 